Are you offering your clients the experience they really want? Or are you offering them what you think they want? Join hosts Laura Gregg and David Partain from FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds as they talk with a variety of industry experts and advisors, just like you, about their latest industry research to help you develop the flexible mindset you need to rise above the crowd. Hello, and welcome to the Flexible Advisor Podcast, where my co-host David Partain and I talk with thought leaders throughout the advisory industry. In doing so, we seek to invite guests that will provide intelligent and unique insights and actionable ideas for advisors that want to fine-tune or find ways to grow their businesses further, all while deepening client relationships. As all of you well know, the financial advisory space is a crowded one, and standing out can be so difficult. You know, while working with an advisor that a client can trust has always been important, I would say that in 2020, it has become even more relevant and important as we enter these uncharted waters. So while the markets have recovered from their deep losses in February and March due to the pandemic, the coronavirus is still with us and it still continues to strain and challenge the economy and employment in ways that we just haven't seen in the past. So now more than ever, I believe clients are looking for advisors that they trust to help them navigate this crazy time that we're in. They want an advisor that they believe truly cares for them as a person rather than just their investment portfolio. You know, more simply put, they want a fiduciary someone that will help them as they seek to achieve goals for retirement, education, home ownership, philanthropy, or whatever it may be. And in times of uncertainty, we all know that money moves into motion. And so today, we're going to talk about what you can do to give yourself an edge while you prospect new clients and how you can maximize human capital within your firm and curate a great client experience for your current clients. I am thrilled to have Devin Eckberg with us today on the Flexible Advisor podcast. Devin is Chief Learning Officer and Managing Director of Professional Development with the Investments and Wealth Institute. Devin also oversees all of the professional development activities for the Institute including university programs, conferences, online education, research, and journal publications. He told me his goal is to deliver the right mix of academic and practical education at the right time and to the right people. Uh, Devin, welcome to the Flexible Advisor. Uh, thank you, Laura. It's really a pleasure to be here. You know, we've enjoyed such a great relationship with Northern Trust in general and, and FlexShares in particular. It's uh, it's really an honor to be here with you. Well, Devin, thank you. I'm very excited about our discussion. Devin, you may not know this, but Laura and I have been called research nerds in the past and even on this podcast. I know you might find that hard to believe. but <laughs> it's um, true. It's, it's true. And we know your role, which is doing a lot of research, which is one of the reasons we're so excited to have you on the podcast today. So I'm going to ask you 
The Investments in Wealth Institute recently conducted some research with Cerulli Associates, and they looked at some of the key trends that are shaping the financial advice industry. Can you give us a high level and tell us a little bit about those trends? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this research, and you'll be glad to know that I'm about as big a nerd probably as you guys are. I, I, my The best part of my job is that I get to work with really, really smart people, you know, university professors, Nobel Prize winners at times. So, you know, the research that we do, I think it, it fascinates me, and there's some really interesting findings in, the, in this research that I think are, are useful. The first part probably isn't surprising to, to most people listening to this call. It's uh, navigating an increasingly fiduciary environment, and that's being pushed not only from the regulatory side, but also from the client side as well. Clients are much more aware of their fee structures now than they were before, and that's leading to everything that we're familiar with, fee compression and this, uh, this push towards fee transparency. And what it's doing is it's leading to offering for advisors to have to offer more holistic and comprehensive financial planning services, basically being able to broaden and deepen at the same time their ability to deliver value. And that ultimately strengthens the client relationships. So this research absolutely confirms some of those findings, and I'm, I'm sure we'll go into some of those details here in a moment. The other interesting finding was really around maximizing human capital. And it's this concept of teaming that, you know, you're pooling resources, you're pooling expertise across your team, and it extends the capabilities and it, it creates specialization, which I think a lot of clients are demanding nowadays. And so being able to use that human capital effectively is going to be a, a skill set that I think is going to be a differentiator for advisors going forward. And then finally, it's the client experience. This idea of, of digital first, client-centric client experience, but also in injecting or, or incorporating a multi-generational experience, there's a lot of opportunities for advisors to, uh, to improve their approach when it comes to a client experience. So all of that, I think, is, uh, is, is kind of the, the high-level overview of the research we just conducted. Well, Devin, now that I know that you deal with Nobel Prize winners and uh, college professors, it won't be any surprise to you that we have not won a Nobel Prize, so I'm more excited to have you on the program. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> so, and I know when I got in the industry years ago, I remember the SEMA designation. I think it's pretty familiar around uh, the industry. However, the IWI offers, well, a variety of other certification programs. Can you give us a high-level overview of some of those? Yeah, so so just in case you, you weren't familiar with the SEMA, it's been around for like 30 years. It's definitely the most well-known certification that we administer, and that's really an investment management credential. You know, so it's it's very technical. It's very mathematically oriented, you know, constructing portfolios and so on. About 10 years ago, we launched uh, CPWA. It stands for Cer uh, Certified Private Wealth Advisor. And that's really much more of a wealth management credential, uh, typically for folks who are high net worth or ultra high net worth, where their financial needs are much more complex, especially from a taxation and estate planning perspective. Also things like charitable giving and you know legacy planning, but also even just the human dynamics of wealthy families. That credential is really designed to, to manage a more comprehensive wealth management strategy. 
And then uh, we just acquired a new credential about three years ago. It's the RMA, that stands for Retirement Management Advisor. And that one's really built for folks who are entering or about to enter a retirement phase. There's definitely a different mindset going from an accumulation mindset to a decumulation mindset. And so there are some unique challenges to that particular set of, of clients. And so this, um, this RMA credential does a great job of addressing that. You know, that's fantastic. And if you were going through those, Devin, you know, we're, we work in uh, the flex shares arm of the larger Northern Trust, which services ultra high net worth investors and spending the last 12 years in this organization, while I haven't been directly involved in that you know, I understand by talking to my my peers on the other side of the the business how important it is to have those conversations and and how the conversations can truly be quite different from both the personal and a business level with those ultra high net worth investors. So really interesting, and I you know I think we all can agree that ongoing education makes us all better, and to have these certifications, it's so important. If you if you Google financial advisor, so many people come up in the search results. A lot of people uh, call themselves financial advisors. And your research paper, I thought, did a really great job of defining the different types of investment professionals uh, that are out there in the markets that they serve. And I'm hoping that you can maybe break down the alphabet soup and and, you know, the different terminology we, we see when we, we look for money managers. Well, yeah, you're right. There's a lot of titles. There's certainly a lot of credentials out there. There's a lot of, there's a bit of an alphabet soup when it comes to credentialing. So you, you see a lot of people with a lot of letters after their name and clients do actually appreciate those letters. They, they are actually curious about what those letters do, more specifically, like what they do for them. And even if they can't um, necessarily without, you know, aided help describe what those are, they, they definitely do believe that they're important and they, they either broaden the expertise or, or deepen the expertise in certain areas. The way we've defined financial advisors is really from a, a services perspective. So from a very narrow perspective, you could call yourself like a money manager, which is really, you know, you're building portfolios, for, you know, individual securities for clients and, and you focus exclusively on asset management. And that's really just kind of a piece of the puzzle. Interestingly, that's that's usually why an advisor gets into the business in the first place, right? Uh, that's why they get into the financial industry in mm -hmm. the first place. They want to construct portfolios. They want to analyze stocks. They want to, you know, get really, get really deep into it at a security level. The next sort of stage to that is really more kind of an investment planner where, you know, you're, you're emphasizing asset management as your primary service. And then maybe you provide some kind of ad hoc, maybe modular issue-based planning, but you're really focusing on the investment management piece. And so that we would call them an investment planner. And then the next step beyond that is really more kind of a financial planner where you're developing complex financial plans based on extensive analysis of your client, you know, the client's assets and liabilities, the household balance sheet, what their, you know, maybe a goals-based uh, approach to financial planning. And then finally, you know, as, as kind of the top of the service scale would be a full-on wealth manager, wealth management, where you're specializing in very comprehensive 
very specific issues like taxation and, and wealth transfer. Maybe you've got clients with very complex needs like a an executive that has a complex compensation package or a business owner that has business succession issues and things like that, uh, where you're really providing that expertise on a broad level. So that's how we like to think of things. And that's how we've structured some of our education, our competencies, and ultimately our certification programs around sort of that model. So a large part of the research focused on how advisors can educate themselves to better navigate these trends. So I want to talk about one of those trends. And let's talk first about the role of the fiduciary, any confusion that exists around that term, which there does seem to be, and how advisors can help educate their clients on the importance of working with a fiduciary. Yeah, this is a this is a big topic right now, and especially as regulators, you know, get into some of the, the problems that they're trying to solve. We've actually kind of stepped back a little bit and said, well, you know, we've been doing this for 30 years. You know, we, our roots are in institutional consulting. Um, so when we when we started the SEMA program 30 years ago, we were mostly serving institutional consultants at the time. And the big regulation around institutional consulting is UPMIFA. It was always intended to be a higher standard than what regulatory regulators could, could actually enforce in the industry. And so institutional consultants always held themselves to that fiduciary standard, even when they weren't technically you know, required to. And as our association membership base grew to include advisors, like individual client advisors or family advisors or whatnot, we really just used that same code of professional responsibility, like where you are acting as a fiduciary, even if the industry you're operating in didn't necessarily require it. So you could operate within a suitability standard, but hold yourself to more of a fiduciary standard by virtue of your voluntary participation in a membership association like ours. So we've kind of stepped back and, you know, over the last 30 years, we've seen regulators move closer and closer and closer to this voluntary standard. And we've been supportive for the most part of moving that. Now, it's, it's definitely caused some pains uh, for different business models and things like that. But ultimately, I think the regulators are moving in the right direction. And we've been supportive of that along the way. And we've tried to be flexible with our membership base to be inclusive of all of those different business models, whether you're under a suitability standard or a fiduciary standard, there's ways that we can add value from that fiduciary conversation and add clarity to your clients uh, in that regard. So the IWI research also sought to understand how advisory firms are maximizing human capital. And a large part of that focused on building teams, which of course is a topic of FlexShares recently covered in our proprietary advisor teams and diversity research study in late 2019. So can you tell us about the findings around teams from your study and how they can contribute to overall firm growth? Absolutely. I, I think the research supports that teams really are kind of the future model of wealth management. And the reason is, is because as you build your team with certain competencies and certain expertise, you're also then able to an adopt to basically adopt a high client service model. And that's actually what this this economy is demanding. You know, people are now trained to have things on demand, right? The on-demand economy, it, it it prizes accessibility. That's why firms like Netflix and Apple and so forth that provide basically access to those services and products that people demand are, are so successful. 
Yeah. And so it's this idea of accessibility that I think is the, the key driver to this team uh, idea. And it, it also provides visibility into, you know, each member of the team sort of having certain types of expertise and a certain role within that wealth management process. And that supports retention of those clients. Those clients are much more sticky when they feel like they have that access. It's visible, it's transparent. And especially when we're experiencing what we're experiencing now with the uncertainty of COVID, the financial crisis, there's an election coming up soon. There's a lot of anxiety around the future of finances and so forth. So having that sort of team atmosphere and access to that collective team's human capital is an extremely important part of an advisor's value proposition. Devin, I'd just like to mention in our research, there was a disconnect. We uh, surveyed investors and we surveyed advisors. And, and for some of the smaller advisory firms, the mindset seemed to be that having a team wasn't all that necessary. And even if they had a team, they weren't necessarily thinking that putting the rest of the team in front of clients was a great idea. Yet, on the other hand, investors were telling us just what you said, that they, they expected a team to back their advisor and that they expected to have interaction with members of the team. So, you know, I think that for some, not all, that there is a little bit of a disconnect out there on the value that teams can truly bring to a firm. Well, and that's a really great point. And the research, I think, backs up from a, a high net worth or ultra high net worth client who is used to working with various advisors, you know, business advisors, accountants, financial advisors, uh, even personal coaches and things like that, they understand that nobody can be an expert in everything. And that's why they're seeking out that advice and they're, they're seeking out specific capabilities. And so when they come across an advisor team that can communicate that they have robust capabilities, they're able to attract that more affluent kind of diverse client base. Particularly those high net worth individuals appreciate that. And they feel more confident that team can address their more complex financial needs. And interestingly, what we found was that the teams that do the best are the ones that are able to describe specifically what expertise each team member can provide for that individual to the point where they're literally spelling out the credentials, you know, those letters after their name, they're spelling them out for them and telling them exactly what this means for them. It generates an enormous amount of trust and an enormous amount of perception of competence that those those types of clients really appreciate. So my advice to advisors who who may feel like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm a one man team or a two man team. We, we do we do enough. I would urge you to reconsider maybe growing the expertise on your team so that you can point to more robust capabilities for those those clients that you end up trying to target. And then I'll, I'll just add one more thing. The businesses that have those more complex teams actually are better suited for what we call inorganic growth. In other words, they're better, they have a bigger infrastructure, typically. They're, they're typically bigger in size. They typically have more access to capital. So they either are more attractive for advisors to join their team because of those characteristics or they're actually more attractive to other larger firms as an acquisition opportunity, potentially. 
the the growth actually you know beyond just organic growth you can actually achieve more inorganic growth and grow scalability with that type of team structure and uh, we've seen that certainly amongst our membership base um, that tends to skew higher in terms of those types of, of practices you know that's so important Devin because as we all know our industry is is white male and middle-aged for the most part we we hope to drive change there. But, you know, so many people are, are looking at retirement and hopefully selling their business in the next five to 10 years or so. And uh, it's great to hear the power that teams can have by meeting that goal. And also, you know, I also think of, of a lot of the add-ons, the teams, the digital tools and whatnot uh, that you mentioned in as tools to create, you know, a really great client experience. And, you know, in my opinion, and if for anybody that's been following these podcasts, you know, I'm really passionate about the client experience. I don't think that the power of that can be overstated. And, you know, in our, our recent teams and diversity research, we found that people really want to work with an advisor that they feel truly understands them and appreciates them. So I'm hoping you can provide a little bit of advice for advisors that need to focus a bit more on this area of client experience. And and I also think that client experience is much different than client service. I I think you're absolutely right. And I think I've got two ways to kind of, the two ways that I think about this. One is the alignment of the services and products that the advisor offers has to align with the needs and desires of the clients that you're you're offering. Now that that may seem like a no-brainer, but but what we're seeing is the things that advisors do well, there's really not a huge satisfaction gap amongst clients of the things that you would expect advisors to do well, like investment management, you know, maybe some financial planning type services and things like that. For the most part, those services clients are satisfied with, they're loyal to those services. And there's not a lot of ways to distinguish yourself in those areas, you know, from advisor to advisor. Where we see the largest satisfaction gaps are in those services that that advisors are really not providing for their clients. Things like business succession planning for their, you know, high net worth business owner clients, or maybe wealth transfer type strategies. Uh, estate planning, charitable giving, maybe using insurance products to help protect assets and so forth. There's bigger satisfaction gaps in those that that clients need and value those services, but they don't feel like there's uh, uh, enough advisors providing it, if that makes sense. So those are the opportunities, I think, to align your services with what you know high net worth clients need and value. So that alignment, I think, is that first way to have clients feel like the advisor understands them, appreciates their situation, and they're providing the services that they need. The second way I would say is really more from a communication, maybe behavioral coaching perspective, because every client is different. We teach advisors sometimes to to profile clients from a behavioral, you know, kind of put them in a a behavioral profile. It helps them sort of determine the best way to work with them and, and communicate to them. But if, if an advisor is truly understanding their, who their client is from a behavioral perspective and helping them overcome behavioral challenges, almost kind of like being a therapist at times, 
we have found that 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 actually increases that level of trust and communication exponentially. So it's not only the services, not only the products that you're offering, but it's that communication style and behavioral coaching that closes a lot of those gaps too. If you move the needle on those two things, I think you can make a very good case of of differentiating yourself in this marketplace. Yeah, I think that's so true. And, you know, when you talk about investment management, I mean, we expect that, right? It's table stakes. Totally table stakes. Um, yep. We would not be with an advisor who couldn't manage our investments. But you know, one of the areas that I see some advisors doing a phenomenal job with and others not so much is just being proactive, trying to anticipate what's keeping their clients up at night. And making those calls and talking to them about, I've got children that are going back onto campus in a couple weeks. I'm a nervous wreck. <laughs> if my advisor would talk to me about that, I know there's new insurance available for COVID and whatnot, but whatever it is, it's just anticipating. And really, this just gets down to knowing your clients on a personal level, which is so important. And so, you know, the pandemic and quarantine that has defined most of this year has really shined a really bright light on digital technology. And as an industry, it feels like we've done a good job, some of us better than others, of course. But, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on how technology, digital technology plays into the client experience. Well, uh, technology is hugely important. I mean, I'm, I remember the conversation before technology was, oh, my God, technology is going to replace us, right? Or or at least put <laughs> major pressure, pressure on. I think we're past that conversation. I think the robots most, aren't going to take our job. Exactly. Most advisors believe technology is going to be useful in the sense of, of augmenting their ability to serve more clients or serve clients in a better way. And I think that's largely the case. So the advisors that we see adopting technology to provide access, whether it's uh, communication or access to information or access to thought leadership, things like that. I think advisors are using technology really well in that regard and will continue to do so. But the main takeaway is that what you're providing through technology is access to you. And in some way, freeing up your time, letting technology do what it does best, things like running your computer models and you know, mathematically optimized portfolios, things like that. Technology, frankly, can do that better than humans now anyway. But free yourself up to be able to connect on, the, on a more human level. And, you know, during the financial crisis, the, the advisors that I saw doing the best job was obviously there's, there's the first step is kind of keeping people on the ledge, right? <laughs> uh, reaching yeah. out to them, making sure, hey, just, you know, you got to stay invested, keep your long-term goals in mind, you know, I, and I think for the most part, most advisors did that very well. But there is a time where you may have to actually have, start to have some scary conversations with people, right? Their financial plans may have changed. A lot of advisors I work with have business owner clients that are questioning whether they can even stay in business anymore, or people who are five years out to retirement and their, you know, their income has changed. And so you, you, you've got to start having some of those scary conversations. So using technology to kind of help people understand, well, what are your, what are your alternatives? What are your options here? Even if there's not a real certain path, you can help determine what possible paths are available to, to clients. You, you know, rerun your retirement models rerun some of your risk management models and help them understand what 
maybe small changes they could make. And the key there from a behavioral perspective, if you're dealing with a client that really does need to make some changes, unfortunately, to their plan, it's always best to start with small, more permanent changes than very large, dramatic, but temporary changes. An example of that is we get calls all the time from people who are panicked and say, oh, oh my God, I got to sell my business. I got to sell my home. I got to make these big dramatic changes right now. The best thing you can do is help them understand that those big dramatic changes are temporary and are not going to move the needle as much as maybe making small but permanent changes over that can compound over time. And just right there, that, that reassures people a lot um, that, they, that you have their best interest in mind. You have a plan for them, even amongst all the, the uncertainty. You've used technology, perhaps, to back up that planning, those models and things like that. You're able to have more human contact and human interaction, kind of not only bring them from off the cliff, but actually having some level of comfort uh, in all of this pandemic mess. Well, Devin, I can tell you that Laura is a nervous wreck about her college-age children going back to school. <laughs> and many other things. <laughs> so I'm hopeful that our conversation today talked her off the ledge. <laughs> so I am sure we just touched on the tip of the iceberg on this research today, but we want to say thank you for joining us again, Devin. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about the Investments and Wealth Institute, just go to investmentsandwealth.org. That's investmentsandwealth.org. And the title of the paper that we discussed today is called The Value of SEMA and CPWA Certifications. This, of course, was a joint research study by Cerulli and Associates and the Investment and Wealth Institute. You can find the link in the show notes of today's podcast. For myself and Laura Gregg, we want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us on today's episode of The Flexible Advisor. Thank you for listening to the Flexible Advisor podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of FlexShares Exchange Traded Funds or Northern Trust. All investments involve risk, including possible loss of principal. Before investing, carefully consider the FlexShares investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus and a summary prospectus, copies of which may be obtained by visiting www.flexshares.com. Read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Foresight Fund Services, LLC Distributor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Although we attempt to keep the information complete and current, we do not warrant that the content herein is accurate, complete, or current. We make no commitment to update the content herein. It is your responsibility to verify any information before relying on it. The content of this podcast may include technical inaccuracies. We may make changes in the products and or services described herein at any time. We provide you this information with the understanding that we are not rendering accounting, legal, or tax advice. Please consult your legal or tax advisor concerning such matters.